0: For our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, and beginning at verse 20. Genesis 8 is where Noah comes out of the ark after the flood. And we pick up the story in verse 20, verse 20 after Noah is safely back on the ground. So Genesis chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. Then Noah built an ark, uh, built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things even as the green herbs but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood surely for your life blood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man and from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he made man And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And, the, and God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This far the reading of God's holy word. And our focus this morning will be specifically on verses 8 through 17, the last part that we read in Genesis 9, the establishing of the covenant with Noah. And that the beautiful rainbow that we see in the sky, it really draws our attention, doesn't it? Every time, if you're, if you're driving down the road and there, there is a, a rainbow and the children see it, they'll, they'll, they'll call you and say, look, do you see that rainbow? There's something about the magnificence and the splendor of the rainbow that that calls for our attention, that demands our attention even. And if you read in the end of the Bible in Revelation 4, it also talks about a rainbow around the throne of God. And every time we look at this rainbow in the sky, we need to realize that God is telling us something. That God is saying something to us. As we read here in, in the first part, or read here in Genesis 9, from verse 8, God is describing how he establishes his covenant with Noah after the flood. God had destroyed the whole world in his judgment because the people were so corrupt and so wicked in all that they were doing. And so the Lord would make a new beginning. The Lord would make a new start on the earth. But then we read in the beginning of chapter 9 how God blesses Noah and how God instructs him to, do, uh, to, to fill the earth again, to, to be fruitful and to multiply. And so there would be new people on the earth. There would be a new generation of people that would fill the earth, starting with a, a God-fearing father, Noah. But even that new beginning was not enough because as God himself says, the people would still be sinful. And even if God were to destroy this world a hundred times with a flood, or a thousand times, or however many times, it would never solve the problem of sin. It would never take away the sins of her heart, and it would never take away the wrath of God against sin. And so after this flood, we, we read how Noah offered a sacrifice to God, how he offered up one, a few of these precious animals that were left. And it's in connection with that sacrifice that it says the Lord smelled a sweet-smelling aroma, and this is where he promises never again to curse the ground, uh, to destroy the earth. And he, this is where he makes this promise uh, with Noah. And so this sacrifice that Noah made also directs our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ because God is showing us that he has made a way, a way to take away sin from this world and to take away his wrath against our sin so that every living creature does not need to be destroyed with the flood again. Christ to be the one who would take that destroying punishment instead of his people. And so this covenant that God makes with Noah is part of what we call the covenant of grace, where God shows how he provides a way in Jesus Christ for sinners to be reconciled to a holy God, where sinners no longer need to face that destruction of God, but where they can be brought into communion with God. And so that's what we want to consider here today, this covenant that God made with Noah and what the rainbow means as we see it so often in the sky. And that's why I've titled this message God's Covenant Rainbow. In verse 8, if we can read that again, it says, Then God spoke to Noah. And his sons with him, saying, and, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature. So, first we can see that it's God who establishes this covenant. Noah and his sons here now represent the whole human race, they're the only people left on this earth and God comes and speaks with them. And so this already shows us the nature of this covenant, what this covenant is all about. It shows us the wonder that the holy God is now able to come and to speak with Noah and not destroy him and his children as he did with the rest of the world. And here we are reminded that God can only come and speak to his people through the mediator the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice that Noah offered after he came off the ark, that sweet-smelling aroma to God represented that sacrifice that Christ himself would be on behalf of sinners. God had already revealed to, to Abel that the shedding of blood was required for the remission of sins, that the wages of sin is death, But here, Noah and his family are spared only because of the Lamb of God who had shed His blood for sinners. And so here we see that this is God's doing. God said, And as for me, in verse 9, I establish My covenant with you, in the Hebrew language, he really emphasizes that this is God and, and what He is doing for his people. And as for me," he says, "So what is God doing?" In, in verse one, God blessed Noah, and he instructs him to do what Adam was commanded to do in paradise, that is, be fruitful, to multiply and to have dominion over the earth. And so this interaction between Noah and God happens in the context of this covenant, this covenant of grace. Because without that covenant, Noah would also need to be destroyed forever. Without God initiating this covenant, this world would not exist. And so the emphasis on God here is so crucial that God in his condescending mercy is the great initiator of this covenant between himself and Noah, and and Noah representing all people. God is the creator and the sustainer of this world, and, and that his creatures are completely dependent on him for their very existence and their preservation. And so God is the one who comes down to speak with his creatures and to make this covenant with them. We have no way back to God. We can't find God. And we cannot reach God ourselves. And as all the people in the days of Noah showed, no one wants to go back to God. No one of ourselves would return to God. And even if we wanted to, we could not make ourselves righteous enough to meet God in His holiness and justice. And so when God says, behold, I am now establishing, it declares not only what God is going to do, but that God is the one who alone can do it. God is doing something remarkable. Because here already we see a distinction between Noah and his family and the rest of the world. And God made that distinction. That he destroyed everyone. Everyone except Noah and his family. And only God can make that distinction. And so God, he prophetically announces here, I establish my covenant. And he declares his dominion not only over the world, either to be able to destroy it or to save it, but also over sinners, either to destroy sinners forever or to save sinners forever. So God here is not making a new covenant with Noah, but he's, he's revealing, he's establishing, is the word that's used, establishing my covenant, which is the covenant of grace, which he began to reveal already in paradise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, where he said the Savior would come to crush the head of Satan and to deliver his people from the grips of eternal death. And so when God says, I will establish my covenant with you, He's telling Noah that God is making it and that God is the one who will fulfill it. And what a comfort and assurance that would be for Noah, wouldn't it be? You think of Noah there as he steps out of that ark onto this earth that is now nothing but destruction. Nothing is left, no living animals except what was in the ark. And Noah would wonder how can he live before God? How can he stand before this God who who can so in a moment destroy everything, including himself? But God here says, I am now making this covenant with you. How that is a comfort for his people. But then secondly, not only God is the one who establishes covenant, but secondly, God establishes with this covenant with Noah and all people. So God is the one who determines who this covenant is for. God determines who this covenant is made with. And he says, not only with Noah, but with you and your descendants after you. He says in verse 9, it'll be to perpetual generations. Or verse 12, sorry for all the generations to follow until the end of time. And so everyone in this world will benefit in one way or other from this covenant. And it means you and I today are benefiting from this very covenant made with Noah. And so what a comfort and a blessing that is, that Noah and his sons were included in this covenant, and God also, he, as, as history goes on, He reveals His covenant of grace more clearly to, to Abraham and as, as a believer and with his children. And In the New Testament, we see that again as with believers and their children. But that means God's covenant has implications for the families of believers, even though not all children are saved. Because later on in this chapter, the part we didn't read, we, we see how, how Ham enters sin and his father curses him in the end and Shem and Joseph receive a blessing. Ham received the same. He was preserved under the covenant blessings. He was in the ark. He was saved from death at that time and yet he never found a spiritual reality that this covenant points to. And this shows us that we're all related to this covenant in one of two ways either in the broad inclusion of its external benefits or the, in a particular and in a saving way of knowing what this covenant points to, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we learn about these covenants in Scripture and wherever we are taught about them, we need to ask ourselves, are we now truly a partaker of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we only the recipients of the outward blessings, the temporal blessings that God gives? Because this covenant was to Noah and to his descendants to a perpetual generation as long as his world exists, but God goes on to say that even the creatures will benefit from this. It extended to the animal kingdom. In verse 10, he says, Every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, That's the domestic animals, and every beast, that's the wild animals that is with you. All that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Man is the crown of creation, and the history of redemption is is there for the saving of sinners. And animals will benefit even from the, the, the benefits of this, even though animals don't have souls and cannot be saved, but they still are affected by it. Because now the Bible also says that the whole creation groans under the burden of the curse of this world because of man's sins. And so the animals suffer under the curse of sin. All the animals outside of the ark were also destroyed. But God says now every living thing are protected even under this covenant. But then thirdly, God shows the benefits of this covenant. Verse 11, he says, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. These are the promises, the benefits that God gives with this covenant. And when God speaks, it is true and it is certain because He is the unchangeable God who cannot lie. But God uses here very emphatic language to show us the certainty of this promise. With the Hebrew way it writes there, it shows an absolute negation. There will absolutely not be a complete cutting off of all flesh again by floods this will never, never happen again. And he says it twice. He emphasizes it. But at the same time, we have to see what it does not say. This implies that this cutting off, the cutting off, the total destruction, is not entirely removed. Never again be cut off. The word be cut off or destroyed is, is used twice in the book of Genesis in, in this sense uh, here where everything was cut off or killed, destroyed by the flood, and later on where it says everything was uh, destroyed by the famine. But this same word is also used with a slightly different meaning where it means not to cut off but to cut a covenant. And that's what God uses when he speaks with Abram in Genesis 15, verse 18. And this promise says, Never again will all flesh be cut off. But when the word is used by, for making a covenant, as it was with Abraham, with cutting a covenant... When they cut a covenant, they that refers to the cutting up of the animals, cutting the animals in half and laying the sides beside there. And it means that whoever breaks the covenant will be cut off, will be destroyed just like those animals were. So the It shows that the seriousness and the permanence of a covenant when it was made, the unbreakable nature of a covenant, that if they broke the covenant, they would be cut off. They would be destroyed themselves. And God is making this covenant and promises that all flesh of all the earth will never again be cut off. He's saying that will never happen again to this world. God cannot lie, and God cannot change, and this is a perpetual certainty. But this also points us again to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we need to ask this question. If we are not cut off because of our sins, then how is God's justice against our sins satisfied? If God does not destroy and punish us for our sins, how can God's justice be satisfied? Because God cannot leave sin unpunished. But God did that by pouring out His wrath on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, where His justice was satisfied in the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here already with Noah, God is beginning to point forward to that time, that only place that makes this possible. And that is why, boys and girls, that this covenant is so important for us. Because in the covenant is the only safe place from the wrath of God. It is the only place of safety. And that is why the emphasis is on Noah and his descendants to perpetual generations as long as this world lives that God has made a way for sinners to be saved to the end of the world that there is forgiveness of God to the end of the world That we must now seek to be in this covenant not only by an external membership for the temporal blessings but by a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who makes this possible. Because outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, outside of this covenant of grace, there is nothing but destruction that awaits you. Destruction like the world was destroyed with the flood. And destruction like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire. This is an irreversible promise confirmed by God who cannot lie. This is a covenant that is made and fulfilled by God himself. And then you ask, what do we need to do? Because even though the covenant is made by God, it still implies a responsibility on our side. Because God sovereignly saved Noah. God sovereignly came to Noah without any assistance from Noah. And yet God instructed Noah and said, Build the ark, gather the animals and the food, tell the people that the destruction is coming, and get in the ark. Yet to warn the people, and in genesis 6 verse 22 genesis 6 verse 22 it said thus noah did according to all that god commanded him so he did we don't earn salvation but god demands salvation upon his covenant obedience of faith is necessary also to benefit from this covenant even though it is God who makes and keeps His covenant in Jesus Christ, even though it's by grace that you're saved through faith, it gives, it leads to a life of obedience. And Christ has merited this salvation. He was the one who was cut off for His people. And that is the rich comfort and assurance for the people of God that you can know that if you are in Christ, that if your faith and hope are in Christ alone, that on the certainty of God's work here, your salvation is as sure as God is alive, that you are as safe in in Christ as Noah was in the ark, that you are as saved in God through His covenant as God Himself is true. But it also means that now, The covenant gives you the time and the way to return to God if you have not yet. Because now God calls everyone everyone everywhere to repent and to turn to Him and to believe. To turn from your wicked ways and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God says, why would you die, O house of Israel, but turn, turn and live? He says, today there's still time to enter into the safety of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Noah entered the safety of the ark upon obedience to God. The benefit of this covenant will continue as long as the world continues. You have time to seek the Lord. But the only thing you don't know is how much time is left in your life. And therefore, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but seek his face. But then, fourthly, God gives the sign. God gives the sign of this covenant. Verse 12, And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God certifies his covenant; it was providing a sign that will last as long as the covenant is in place. It lasts as long as the promise. This is the sign when signs have meaning. They they direct us to to something. It's pointing us to something. For Abraham's circumcision was a reminder of the covenant that God made with him. In this New Testament time, we have baptism pointing us to the covenant of God. But God said, this is the sign that I am making, the sign that I set This is not a sign chosen by Noah. This is not a sign made of something of the earth that could be destroyed. But this sign would last to perpetual generations, to the end of time. And here God again says with emphasis in verse 13, it says, I set my rainbow, but in the original word order he says, my bow. My rainbow, I do set in the cloud. It's God's sign. He says, my bow, which I set, emphasizing again the certainty and and who is doing it. It's God who is placing it there. In Genesis 2, we read that the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, but there went up a mist from the earth. And so it's possible that Noah had never seen a rainbow before. If the watering of the earth was, was through the dew, the mist that came up of the earth, instead of clouds, there would have never been a rainbow. But even if that was not the case, God here claims this as His bow that He puts in the sky as a sign of the covenant between God and the earth. And so then, fifthly, God chose the certainty of this covenant, Because with this rainbow, God assures Noah and all of us of the certainty of the covenant that he made. Because God is the one who makes and keeps his covenant. And he says, and it will be in verse 14, it shall be. So whenever this happens, whenever I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And then God will see the rainbow. He says in verse 15, And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature. God will remember. God will recall the promise that He made even to Noah so many years ago. Even though God doesn't need to be reminded because God is God. He's unchanging. He's eternal. But God says this to show us of His unchanging faithfulness to you and to the certainty of His promise that this sign is there in the sky to declare God's faithfulness to us. He says, I will remember my covenant. In verse 16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. In the middle of verse 15, the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. And this covenant is so certain. This is the security for mankind. It's God who, who certifies it, who signs it, who, who seals it. And just the same, your salvation, the certainty of your salvation is found in this covenant, the covenant of grace, in this covenant making God, that God began to reveal here to Noah and to Abraham and to David. And so God confirms what He has done. He is the one who initiated this covenant. He sustains this covenant. And He gives us a sign to assure us of that covenant. And He will be the one who fulfills it. And this world stands today to testify of His faithfulness. That's, as He said in the end of of chapter 8, That. While the earth remains sea time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not stop, the world continues day after day, waiting for the return of Christ. And that is only because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was cut off instead of us, who was cut off instead of his people. And that rainbow was put there by God to remind us that He is faithful and that, to remind us that He's not destroying us today for our sins. That even as this, wicked, this world uh, continues in wickedness and in immorality and in lawlessness, God is still saying, I will not destroy. I'm still giving time to repent. He's still saying that Christ took the punishment for the sins of His people that would otherwise demand that this world be destroyed. So then, as a few thoughts, here at the end, the rainbow is an unspeakable comfort and assurance for God's people. Because the certainty of your salvation is based on that Covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. It is on, based on His faithfulness and not anything that we can do of ourselves. We cannot earn our salvation, but it's done in Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 also says this as he speaks of the elect. He says, moreover, whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified, showing the progressive work of God's salvation, the certainty that he will redeem all his people. And it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because sometimes it seems like the whole world is against us. And yet if God is for us, even in a day like today, who can be against us? Who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all? How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If God spared not His Son, now He is giving all things to His people, every blessing. God spared the world because He did not spare Christ. But God spares the world now because He still has a people. He has a people to save. There are still sinners out in the world today who need to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ and who still need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Even here today, there are still people who need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because this is why the world still exists. It's for your salvation. But then secondly, that rainbow is a comfort. For those of you who are then earnestly seeking God, earnestly desiring to know God, earnestly wanting to be saved and needing to be saved by God, because it shows that God is still patient today, that God is still calling you, He's still telling you to turn from your sins and to repent of your sins and to to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to, to cast all your cares upon Him and to confess all your sins to Him and to believe on His name. That is what He calls us to do in this covenant. Just like He told Noah what he had to do, He tells us to repent and believe. And So today, while summer and winter still come, And you receive the blessings outside as you enjoy the summer. Remember, this day is here so that you can believe on Jesus Christ. And so flee to Him today. Go to Him today. And do not stop until you find Him. And do not not be satisfied only with the external blessings. Because the third application is that this rainbow is also a great warning for the complacent and for the careless, and for the wicked. Because if we are still going through this life without God, God is permitting this wickedness to continue now. Because of His love and His promise, He does not destroy this world yet, even though that's what we all deserve. But Acts 17 says, Now He commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Noah and his family entered the ark. They all received these blessings of the covenant. But how many of his children, grandchildren, and descendants never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? A new beginning is not enough. You can leave many sins. You can change a lot in your life. You can come to church regularly. You can be born and raised in the church. But if you don't have Christ, you miss the essence of the covenant. And you still fall short of eternal life. And then you will still perish in the end. And so again I ask, where do you fit in this covenant? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because even as this world continues, he said both summer and winter continue, but Jesus also gave many parables where the wheat and the tares continue together, where the sheep and the goats graze in the pastures together, where the wise and the foolish virgins both wait for the bridegroom together. And yet when the time came at God's appointed day, there was a separation of those who were saved and not saved. Just like on the day when the floods came, only those who were in the ark were saved, but now more specifically, only those who are in Christ will be saved from the wrath to come. Because both God's people and the wicked will live in this world together. And God says, let them grow up together. Don't pull out the tares in case you pull out the wheat. We both live under the sign of the rainbow, showing God's faithfulness, showing God's patience, showing God's covenant. But The time will come when that sign will no longer be needed, when all the elect will finally be gathered together, and all the wicked will be destroyed forever. And then there will be no more covenants. In 2 Peter 3, it speaks... This is But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same Word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That includes you today, that you would come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise, and all the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the, and the works that are in it will be burned up. Not a flood, but fire. And the last application here is a rainbow that we see so often in the sky is an encouragement for evangelism. Because the rainbow reminds us that this world exists today because God is saving sinners. That God still has a people in this world that need to be saved, need to be drawn out of the fire. In Matthew 24 verse 14, says that this world still exists until the gospel will spread to every nation and then the end will come. And so the purpose of every believer here today and for the church, is to spread the gospel, to reach the nations, to be an instrument in God's hand like Noah was, to the preacher of righteousness he was called, to speak to the people as you work, that the day of the Lord is coming. So this rainbow is a witness of God's saving grace, directing us to the Lord Jesus Christ Is the only reason why we are still here today and the only reason why sinners can be saved today. And our lives and our words must direct others to him. It declares to us the heart of God. And that is, that, as I read here from 2 Peter, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and that should be our heart as well, that as we see the nations around us, our desire should be that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be our desire as it is God's, that as we are encouraged by God's own love for us, not that we loved Him, but that He first loved us, may this be our motivation also to glorify Him, and to speak to others of Him. Amen.